Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the podcast. And today I am excited because I have my dear friend, Rich Fetke on with me. And uh, for those of you that don't know him, he's literally like uh, my brother. So <laughs> in extreme sports, I, I, I swear we look alike. Um, I seriously could not think uh, more of Rich. He's uh, an amazing guy. You guys have probably heard him on uh, Bigger Pockets as well as a lot of other other outlets. So we're going to jump straight into it. Rich, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. You know what? It's my birthday today. No <laughs> way! Yep, the big 59. I got one year before the big 6-0. So Dude, yeah, we, we might look birthday. similar, but I got a lot more gray in the beard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Happy birthday. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, great to be here with you on you gotta my go birthday. You got to go like bungee jumping or something, dude. For your something. We'll, we'll come up with something for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, first of all here, to start it off, why don't you talk to the audience a little bit about what you're doing now? Um, so what do you do? And then we'll, we'll kind of go back from there. And I want to talk about your your past, which is is amazing in itself. Sure. Yeah. Um, my wife, Kathy, and I have a company called Real Wealth, and we started it back in 2003. And we really focus on helping people do that, create real wealth, which we define as having both the money and also the freedom to live life on your own terms. So we mostly help people get into uh, single family, one to four unit uh, properties to build their portfolio. And we also syndicate mostly ground up residential development. And so we have, we have a single family fund and we also develop. So that's how we help people. And that's what we've been doing for the last 20 years now, which just kind of blows my mind. Uh, so that's our main focus. Now, uh, where, because you're, you're, headquarters are in California. Where does most of your investing take place? Our investing uh, mostly in the Southeast, you know, um, everything from the, the South, like in down in Dallas area, all the way over to Florida. We're in um, Indianapolis and Maryland. We're in um, all parts of Florida. I think we have four property teams in Florida. So we, I'm a broker. So I basically just, we help educate our members show them how to invest, take them through, you know, a lot of people are busy professionals and they yeah. want to get out of the stock market. They want to get into hard assets. So a lot of people come to us just to kind of like get, get started and to build that initial thing. So then we refer them to property teams that we've vetted around the country who uh, have a broker in place. They have quality investment properties, either a real quality rehab that's rent ready or new builds. So a lot of them team up with developers and builders and they do these new builds. So a lot of our, a lot of our members are buying uh, new properties now. That's awesome. And now explain to people, you, you help people get started in the amazing game we call real estate. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys get started? So uh, your story is very interesting and I want to kind of dive into it. Yeah, we got started out of desperation. <laughs> it was 2003. Uh, I had just signed a book deal in, in 2002 with Simon & Schuster, and my book was out. I was giving keynote speeches, feeling awesome on my game. I was a, a master certified business and personal coach, so everything was working great. I was 37 years old, and then I was diagnosed with melanoma, which is not the worst thing in the world. It's a skin cancer. They can usually surgically remove it which they did, but then they thought it had spread to my liver after a couple tests, a CT scan and an ultrasound. And I met with an oncologist and he said, it looks like this is spread to your liver. You probably have around six months to live. So that was, that rocked our world. Kathy was a stay at home mom at the time. So she had to rally to figure out a way to make ends meet if I died. And so she's the one that started to seek out mentors and found that those mentors uh, to do create wealth they did it through real estate investing. So she was all excited about that. She said, I think I know what I can do here and started to go down that path. And I joined her in learning about it and starting to take some steps. And thankfully, the doctor's diagnosis was wrong. The melanoma had not spread to my liver, but going through three months of not knowing, three months of different tests, it rocked our world. But it was the catalyst that got us to be like, 
to get Kathy really and be like, what am I going to do here? And that led us to real estate investing. I mean, three months thinking that, I mean, at, at the three month mark, you're like, my life's now half, halfway over, right? It was from yeah. six months from when I started. I mean, it, during that time, during that three months, you know, you're scrambling basically to try to protect your family's future and yeah. to what is you believe a certainty, right? You believe this is yeah. an end, end game type of, of thing. Um, walk like during that three months, Mike, you're, what did you prioritize? Like, how did you, it, with such limited amount of time, hey, wh what do you even do? I, I think a lot of people often think about it. If I was told you have yeah. X amount of time to live, what what do you do? And I think everybody theorizes of it, but I've of, often wondered what really floats to priorities, right? Like, or, and yeah. what do you do? Most people don't think about it enough. You know, nowadays yeah, I think true. about it all the time and it's really, what you would think it was we had a 10 year old daughter we had a three-year-old daughter um i had my wife kathy and that's it was spend time with them connect with my parents um, my family my brothers it was about the people yes. i loved you know that was it was all about connecting with them and having as much time with them as possible um, so work became a much less priority obviously yeah. Um, yeah. and that was the main focus so it's, it's so often we don't stop, most people don't stop to think about, wow, what if I only had three months or six months? How would I be living my life now? And it, so it shouldn't take the death sentence to yes. rock your world and get you to start looking at the priorities. It's so easy to be here. I'm here in Denver and we're meeting with um, bigger pockets and uh, meeting with a lot of people here. And one thing I've seen is that there's this you know, they're younger, they're in their 30s, they're, they're in that age group that I was when I was diagnosed. And there's such a drive to succeed, to get more Instagram followers, to get more properties, to do more deals. And that's fine. It's great. And that's the building years. But you really start to realize when you get closer to, to 60 that or when you get that death sentence, uh, that that is important, but absolutely not as important as the other things. So it's that constantly checking in and think about how are you living your life now? And if you were told you had six months to live, would you be satisfied with the way that you're living your life now? I think it's key. I love that. Would you be satisfied with what yeah. you're doing now? I, and you know, I was having a conversation a little while ago with somebody uh, about this as people often do. And they were talking about like, oh, I want to go see all these places and I want to do all these things and everything. And I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, if I'm being really honest, this sounds, maybe sounds a little lame, but I would just want to cuddle with my kids in bed and read books and talk to yeah. them. It'd yeah, be like yeah. clinging on every second. Like, I don't want to go travel if that means I'm away from them for any second. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't care about the Eiffel Tower. I want time with my kids. I don't care yeah. about other places. It would just immediately just turn to, I, I don't care what it's doing. I don't care if they're watching a cartoon and I sit there and hold them as they eat cereal. Right? Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, that's all I want to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's amazing. You know, now, now our daughter's 30 and 23 and I feel the same way. It's like whenever I'm with them, it's just this gratefulness and, you know, so now things don't really affect me, you know, financial loss or someone screws us over in a deal or anything like that. It's like, you know what? I'm alive. I get to be here with yeah. my kids and my family and my friends and the people I love. So it's like, it really puts things in perspective. No doubt. And I think, you know, obviously I, I don't know you before this uh, occurred, but that really comes off very genuine with you. You're very present. You're mm, very you. like real, you know what I mean? It, it's, it, you're easy to talk to, you get along, you just seem genuinely happy. And I feel like that is something that so much of us have lost, including me. It's really like you get involved in it and all of a sudden it's like, I'm not being present, even when I'm mm. with those people that I love. And uh, I think that that is uh, robbing a lot of us of true happiness. And what you said before, looking at your life saying, would I be happy with this? Well, when you look at it, it's like, I, I need to put the phone down and be present with my kids, right? I should take my you wife know, out on it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so true and presence takes practice so thank you for that acknowledgement i really i want to be someone who is known as being very present with people 
and it really it takes practice it and it takes consistent practice and that's what meditation is about that's what prayer is about it's what has us get in the moment and meditation is all about coming back to the moment coming back to the moment and so you exercise that part of the brain it actually develops that part of the brain and then it carries over into the rest of your day so i start every single day with meditation to just practice that presence so so i'm I'm glad you noticed thank you (laughs) well and especially in a world now I think the people that are present, they stand out because I think, you know, uh, I was reading a thing and they were talking about uh, the phone and like, what is the phone? It's not the games. It's not the thing. It's the time. It's robbing us of our present state of being and we're distracted. Right. And I thought starting to look at my own life and everything, going, oh, my goodness, this is such a problem that I have that. You know, I I don't want to be and I don't want to regret because, you know, I'm obviously I'm in my 30s. I'm in that drive mode. Right. And I have big goals, want to accomplish big things. And I, I, I think that it's our mind can be our own worst enemy, even when trying to achieve our goals. Most of the time, it's like if I just be present with the people that matter, my executives with that kind of stuff, right? That would actually be much more well spent than answering a ton of emails and doing, I think my efficiency would rise. I think my understanding of my company and the needs would rise by being more present. And uh, it's hard to do though. I I mean, I can (laughs) say it, I can even acknowledge it, but. Yeah. Man, when that phone buzzes, we are trained. Yeah, you have to almost lock it away. You know, I've seen some research and studies on even when there's a phone just sitting on a table, even if it's face down, it the connection between the two people, when they rate that connection, they feel like there's less of a connection. And then when the phone is put away and it's out of sight, the people feel more connected. So it's, yeah, it's there. We have to like kind of lock it up sometimes. You know, it's an amazing device and it's amazing for technology. Um, but yeah, it can be a major distraction too. Now you've done some pretty amazing stuff even outside of business uh, in your life. I, I think my, you know, my favorite stories are always rich stories because uh, <laughs> you are just calm, collected, you're present, everything else. And then all of a sudden you see like a video or a picture of you jumping off a bridge. And it's like, <laughs> where did this come from? Uh, so before this happened, uh, you had a job, but you weren't really investing, right? That's not like you weren't really in the mindset. It, it was this event actually kind of, it was that that shifted that, correct? 100%. It was the catalyst. Yeah. I always thought I would be a real estate investor. I even wrote my obituary back in a personal development workshop. And I wrote in that obituary, you know, he was a successful real estate investor. And this is before I owned my first property ever, not even on oh, primary amazing. residence I had known. Uh, so I always wanted to be an investor, saw myself as a real estate investor, but always thought that I had to have a whole bunch of money to get started. And that yeah. was the, that's where I was like the wrong perspective, you know, and as we yeah. know, we can get started with nothing, you know, or very yeah. little as real estate investors. It's all about education and learning and growth. Now, when you guys started that journey and you were, you know, off, obviously Kathy was in crisis mode because she's like, what am I supposed to do now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the news came out. Oh, hey, <laughs> sorry about the last three months. Yeah, you're not dying. You're totally fine. And you're <laughs> yeah, like, wait, what? <laughs> like, uh, then, you know, at that point, how did you not go back into status quo? I, I think so many of us were starting out. It's a new year, right? We have all these changes. I am going to put my phone away at night when I'm with my kids, right? Everything else like that. And and you do it because you read something and it surprised you or whatnot. And then you just fall back into old habits. You did the totally opposite. You guys ran like you've yeah. created this extraordinarily successful company. You have all these investments, these assets, these employees. I mean, you you didn't you didn't stop. You kept yeah. going. How after after this happened, what was that dynamic like? Was it was it like should we just pause? Should I just go back to my job, or should we? Mm-hmm. How how did that work? I think it opened our eyes up to this new possibility where we could grow and expand and learn. And 
I'm Kathy and I are both high achievers. You know, we, we can't help it. We've always been. I opened a health club when I was 23 years old and grew it to 23 employees and sold it when I was 30. Uh, you know, it's like I've always been this high achiever, and so is Kathy. So it's like there's obsession about okay, wow, this new thing called real estate investing. We were obsessed with it. You know, we were listening to podcasts. We were reading every single book we could, attending RIA events and everything. So it became an obsession. The difference was, and the reason we called our company Real Wealth, was we saw a way to be able to create a really good income and really grow our wealth through real estate faster than being a speaker or an author or a coach like I was. And being able to create a scalable business that would basically be a self-managing company. So we could actually create a company and grow it and have these investments and these passive investments uh, bringing in money every month without us having to put in 60, 70 hours a week. So it was kind of like this, it opened our eyes to a new possibility of how we could work and operate in work without adding way more hours and time instead of grinding so much. So does that answer it? Does that yeah. now, make sense? Yeah, now when you, you're on this, tell walk me through your first deal. Was it an in-state deal? Was this an out-of-state? Like how did you, because a, a lot of people get in your position where they do, but, they go to the seminars, they read the books, right? They don't pull the trigger. So how, what was your first deal? How did you get to pull the trigger and start that path? So it was actually Robert Kiyosaki. Kathy had this hey. small radio show in San Francisco on a pretty large station on KNEW. And she would, uh, it was all about, in the beginning, it was about coaching. It was a kind of a pay to play. So she had to pay for her airtime and then find yeah. sponsors to pay for that. Uh, but it started to get bigger. And then when we moved over to real estate investing, instead of a focus on personal growth, personal development and coaching, she shifted it over to real estate. And that's when the Real Wealth Show was born. That was the, that was the it was a radio show before it was a podcast. Yeah. And because it was getting big and we had a lot of listeners, she had a lot of listeners, uh, Robert Kiyosaki was kind of newer to the game back then. This is, you know, it's like um, Rich Dad Poor Dad had come out, but we had a friend who was connected with Robert to bring the cash flow game over to the States from Hawaii. So we had that connection with Robert. He was on the Real Wall Show and he said, um, people don't realize what's happening here. This is 2000, I think 2005 by then, 2000, 2004. 2004, he was saying, this, there's going to be a crash and you should get out of your high priced California properties and move into markets like Dallas area, like into Texas. And Kathy's like, why da Dallas? And he told all the, you know, why people were moving there, businesses were moving there. And so that was our first investment property was we did a, um, we did a HELOC on our, our primary residence. And we took that money and we went and we bought our we bought six investment properties in Rockwall, Texas, which is a little north of uh, Dallas. And so that was it. It was just it was pretty easy to get a loan back then yeah. in 2003, 2004. And so we did it. We went out there and we got these six properties. And that's what just kind of turned us on to the whole. And then we were hooked. And they did good even through 2008. Did you lose them or? Uh, no, it was, I mean, very challenging after 2008. No, yeah. Those properties did well, those properties in Dallas. But it was our California properties that we didn't take Robert's advice yeah. that we held on to. We had moved and we wanted to get our kids in a better school district. So we sold, instead of selling our old house, we kept it, turned it into a rental. And we were losing about five or $600 a month on that in negative cash flow. And then when the whole crash happened, that one went upside down. We had to do a short sale on it. And we had some properties in other states that were not like Meridian, Idaho. Uh, we had a couple properties and they were totally upside down. Oh, so yeah. Foreclosures. It just hit us so hard. Yeah. Right, right in there. Yeah. Right in Meridian, mm -hmm. Idaho. I grew, grew up on the exit right into to Meridian. And 2008, um, you know, my wife and I, we were uh, looking to buy properties in 2000 six and seven in Meridian and I couldn't oh, wow. make the numbers work and I didn't understand real estate at the time, right? Like we we thought, okay, we we had invested in uh, these storage facilities because it, were, it made sense. I didn't understand the real estate market like uh, I do now at all, especially yeah. when it came to homes and everything. Um, but mm -hmm. the properties in Meridian, for all of you listening that don't know, 
I mean, to say they were wiped out, you're talking like this is a, like Las Vegas or even worse. It was like yeah. that. Bad, yeah. yeah, that market was really bad. It, Meridian's a suburb of Boise, everyone. So it's Boise, I'd hope. But um, yeah. now, I, Rich, I didn't know that about Robert and how he told you to go to sell, get out of California, go to Texas. That's that's amazing. I've never. It was quite never a gift. That. Yeah. Yeah, and what we didn't know is we didn't, you know, we were like, well, we're, we're going to do what he says here, but we're, we don't really think there's going to be a crash. And it's like we had not been through a crash. We were new yeah. investors. Yeah. Uh, we've learned so much from that experience. Yeah. You know, we've got some really deep scars from it that yep. we all guide do. us today. Yeah, yeah, they guide us today. It's so funny when uh, talking with people and investors and like the people that were investing through 2008, and we're in business they do they, they think they see things differently and they, and they have those scars and you can see how their mind works and how they're looking and it's it's strange that that is such a i think a big not only lesson for me but has had such a big impact on my future growth and yeah. my future um understanding of you i couldn't have paid for that education it's not one you ever want but it's one that is invaluable um, and during that time and, and what happened. But the fact that you survived it all, honestly, is amazing. Um, yeah, and, and any of us did who are investing, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like yeah. The, it's the properties like the ones in Dallas that, that saved us. So and that's the key, big lessons there. And here we are in another new market cycle. You know, the tides are changing, there's no doubt yeah. about it. Talk to me about that. What do you see now and how does that compare to what you went through in 08, what are some of the same correlations and differences and how are you seeing the market today? You know, it's definitely different. I see it as different in the, the amount of inventory now and rates are similar to back then, you know, not much different. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's definitely there's going to be a bloodbath in some areas, in some areas there's not. You know, I think that storage is, I think, is a really smart thing to be in. I think it's pretty recession proof. And I think single family, you know, not I think, I know that single yeah. families are going to still still stay solid and strong in the right markets. You know, it's yeah. so market dependent. I think some markets like in California, especially the Bay Area and Los Angeles area where we yeah. live, I think this there's going to be is already we're seeing significant price drops. But in some of these markets, it's going to stay strong. It's the cash flow is going to stay stay decent. And we're just becoming more and more of a renter's nation. So that's why I think you see these big institutional investors now looking at buying up tons of single family properties because I think they they think the same thing. Yeah. You know, oh, but I, I think in some multifamily is going to be is going to be challenged for a while here, especially new multifamily investors who have done the bridge loans and they're, you know, yeah. they just, it was so easy to make that work over the last 10 years. And now it's going to be the, the test to see who really underwritten, <laughs> got yeah. the right under, type of underwriting. I get a question on that because one of the things I realized, I think later on, in I think 2008, I, I gained a perspective that may not have been exactly right. Um, because during 2008, it was like everything was correlated, right? Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter what you own, if you own different ones, stock market crashed, housing crashed. It was like, it was just, everything was correlated, right? Yeah. You couldn't um, get any and, lending either. It was, yeah, you know, when Lehman exactly. Brothers crashed, all of a sudden it's like, whew. Yeah. Money just evaporated. And so mm -hmm. when I saw that, it seemed like, and I think this is something that people really need to think about because I think people think that that's how all crashes and downturns and things work, um, which that's actually not. That's very unusual uh, yeah. because that was a debt crisis, not a normal economic upturn or downturn. Like this is, uh, this is very much being um, controlled by the Fed. They're trying to take that money out, right? Um, yeah. So when I... I looked at that, I guess I thought, oh man, if you own something, it's a downturn of crashes. And I think that can create this like fear greed cycle, which is really bad when you invest. Oh, yeah. well, times are good. It's probably going to be keep being good. Now I'm greedy. I want to jump on. Uh, now times are bad. I think it's going to be bad. I'm going to sell because everything's going to go down. And that usually means you time it wrong because by the time you feel that way, the good deals have already passed, right? Everything else. Yeah, it's um, the opposite so, of what you should do. Exactly. It's the opposite of what you should do. Um, and I, I've really learned, like, uh, you know, I think kind of there's two differences, meaning that 
when something fails, I always ask dealer structure, dealer structure. Mm, because like, like what we see now is I know some people's deals are failing, but I try to tell people, I'm like, it, it's not the deal. It was the structure, meaning that that asset actually has not changed in um, what what I call uh, 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 intrinsic value. Yeah. The cash flow is still the same. The returns still the same. Like nothing about that asset has even changed. And people are like, then how come it failed? And it, it's to what you pointed to just there, and that's what I meant. They're you know, right. They bridge loans, debts, things are coming up, right? So it's actually the structure, the financing, things like that that somebody may put on the deal that made sense at two percent interest doesn't make sense at six and a half percent. So they lose the deal, even though the cash flow hasn't changed at all. Now, how much totally. of today do you think is deal centric versus structure centric? Meaning, is it more those assets when we talk about multifamily? Or do you think it's more, listen, a lot of people got hyped up, they started doing weird things with debt project uh, products, they bought at levels they shouldn't have been buying. That was their fault, not the assets fault. Like the housing crash, it was the asset. The asset yeah. lost 60% of the value. Everyone, yeah. Everyone. It didn't matter mm -hmm. what structure you had, you were under, right? Um, that's what I mean by when I say everybody. I, I, like, I, I, that's was what I thought happens normally, right, when I first came out of it, to learn that that's not true, right, in most normal cycles. So yeah. today, how do you view the deal structure is combo? What are your thoughts? I think it all boils down to one simple thing, and it's the ability to control the asset through whatever cycle you're in. So it's been easy to control the asset through this last cycle. And like you're saying, if the, if the cash flow is the same and all those things stay the same, what's happening with the bridge loans and then you get a little bit of an increase in interest rate or you need to try to refi and it's it's not like you can't refi anymore, but you have to refi at a larger, at a higher uh, interest rate. That can really yeah, dig into the cash flow, dig into yeah. the deal problem. So I think it's just it's that it's having the financial reserves to be able to weather the storm. And I think it is, you know, to, to your point, I think it's more of the deal and how, how almost like how the deal was structured. You know, yeah. so it's like, yeah, it's yep. re responsibility structure. on the person that does the structure and stepping back. So looking at that, if everyone looked at that over the past, say, five years, in their deals and they said, okay, so what happens if interest rates do go up to 7%? What happens if um, these these come due and I need to go from a construction loan into something permanent? How am I gonna do that? So some people are doing you know, construction the perm, they're gonna be okay because they're, they're locked in on that. So I yep. think that's I, the key. I couldn't agree more. Last year, uh, you know, two years ago, it's funny, almost a year ago, I was talking to you and we were talking about this. I go, I have big concerns, right? And we, a year, two years ago, and we locked all our debt into 2029 is the next time we have a refi. Smart. And uh, the people are like, oh yeah, well, I'll just do that. And I'm like, that's really easy to say, but you have to understand, I paid a premium to do that. So that means during the time when interest rates were really low, it, the shorter term the interest rates, the banks will give you lower interest because it's going to turn over. So yeah. there's not as much risk that for the bank that they're stuck at that rate for a longer period of time. So then when I wanted a 10 year at, uh, you know, locked in for 10 years, the banks not penalized me, but the cost of that debt was not nearly as favorable. So it made it really easy for people to say, I'm going to take shorter term stuff because my cash flow rises, my returns rise because the yeah. cost of that debt was lower. And because of 2008 and our scars and everything, we said, we need to be able to control the asset under known things. Meaning I can't have an external event happen that I have no control over that will tank this. So then we said, we're gonna give ourselves 10 years on all of this stuff because we said, I think things are changing. We're at the end of the cycle, nothing had happened yet, but the risk of it to us was much higher. And we thought, we don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know. Yes, we right. thought interest rates were going to go up. Yes, we thought there was going to be inflation, uh, even though at the time that was actually something that everyone argued wasn't going to happen. And we didn't know. So because we didn't know, we wanted control. I love mm. that idea that can you control the asset? Those change in interest rates, right? Those external events, meaning I have to sell it or else I don't get returns. Those are things that are out of your control. If my returns are predicated on a buyer to pay some price, that's out of my control. 
Yeah. And so yeah. anything that makes that asset performance reliant on something I can't control, I don't like, and yeah. I don't do. And I that think is that so that's, awesome. well, I think what it's just, I've like, I love that image or just, is it in your control or is it in the market or some other uh, points control? If it is, you don't know what's going to be, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's a really dangerous yeah. spot to be in. And I think the cycle really shows that. Yeah. And you know, it's got, we invest a lot in single family and I'm obsessed with a 30 year, 30 year fixed, yeah, you know? So exactly. that's what we focused on. And even though, you know, people are like, well, but the cash flow is not going to be as great if you get that, you know, you can get yep. this arm and you're going to get much better cash yes. flow. And it's like, yeah, it's just short term thinking. Exactly. And the 30 year is like the best thing that's ever made because I know I can exactly made. plan on it. It's paid off by the end. So there's no event in commercial real estate. 10 years is like the max we can even get. So I'm like, I know that every 10 years I'm going to have to deal. At least I have 10 years to deal with it. But geez, what amazing product 30 year fixed mortgages. I, I think a lot of people don't realize how special that is and how unique the United States is you know, having that and why that really makes single family homes such an incredible investment. The fact that you can lock in that liability at a known rate today for 30 years, investing wise, that's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. It's bring, bring on inflation. Come on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you locked in like that. No, no 100%. Yeah. How's, mm -hmm. How are you seeing inflation affect uh, uh, rents, construction, things like that going on right now? I mean, it's been crazy. It's like going up rents, you know, especially in Florida, man, we've seen rents go up 20, 30%, sometimes even more. Um, even property values are going up. We, we get calls all the time of people wanting to buy our properties. It's just, it's just crazy. So yeah, and obviously construction with all those new builds that we're working with uh, property teams on and the developers and all that. It was crazy. And it's like, well, this will be built in a year. And then we ran into COVID and we ran into supply chain issues and the price of construction materials and supplies just skyrocketed. So now those new builds that were supposed to be built in a year are taking two, two and a half, maybe even three years because of that. So it's starting to cool off now. It's definitely getting a lot better. Uh, Kathy and I are building a single family property up in Park City right now. And it's like, we're kind of like thankful that we couldn't get to it because um, yeah. all the snows came yeah. in. And so yep. they're like, we, we can't finish the foundation and everything, but that created a delay. And now we're seeing the supply supplies uh, go down drastically in price. So we're going we're gonna to save probably $300,000 on that just because of waiting. It's so funny. That happened to me too. On Because the one thing COVID did was it made getting things done quickly impossible especially mm -hmm. when dealing with the cities. So yeah. we had projects that we should have had done and be building in the first year. They were already approved, everything else. Mm -hmm. We're now in year three and oh, they're wow. just now starting. And it's like, at first it's like, this is devastating, right? But then I look at what it cost, it would have cost me a year ago if we started and I'm like, whoa, that millions difference yeah. on these big developments. And I'm like, okay, we can wait to save a couple million dollars. I, I'll take that year's worth of <laughs> waiting and saving. Yeah. Like uh, that's, that's not too bad after all. Um, uh, now on the, uh, it, we've seen rents go up as far as, you know, it seems like we had a pickup in this new build and the construction of homes, things like that. Yeah. Uh, have we seen a slowdown in that? Are you seeing it from our perspective where I live personally right now, we've seen a slowdown in new builds. Um, and it seems like developers I'm talking to are like, you know what, we're going to wait. We're, we're going to wait till we develop out these 50 acres, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to just hold off and we're going to wait now. And so all of a sudden that had kind of a, a larger effect when you have all these developers at 50, maybe 100 acres are all like, you know, we're going to hold off. Uh, we really saw a slowdown in supply hitting the market. Um, what about the rest of the United States? Are you seeing that in Texas? Is it business as usual, Florida, California, or is it more reminiscent of up here? Uh, I'm seeing a slowdown in those markets that are going to get hit and are getting hit and starting to see a reduction in values because I think the builders are smart. They're just like, yeah. why, why build all these new properties here now? And, you know, because it's going to, the prices are going to go down. It's going to be hard to sell them. Uh, but I'm, we're not seeing a slowdown in, in Florida or Texas because 
so many people are moving there, so many um, jobs are moving there, especially north of Dallas. That's where our single family fund is. Uh, that's where we're acquiring most of those properties up there. And it's because of the big um, chip manufacturing that's happening up there. So there's, it's a driver yep. for the economy. So they're building because there is such a uh, shortage in inventory. So I think it's where there's a shortage in inventory, the building is still happening, where they were building just out of almost greed. Uh, I think that's where we're seeing the slowdown and they're starting to pull back. People are just trying to make make too much money too fast. And that was yes. the problem, even investors. And it's like uh, everything from single family investors to multifamily investors to commercial, all that. Yep. It, everyone started to get greedy and they started to compare themselves to each other. And, yeah. you know, even the big institutional investors, they're like, well, wow, they did this and they grew that. So we have to do that. Um, I don't know. I'm a long term investor. So I always look at building wealth over the long haul. And because I was not that before and yeah. it burned us. And yeah. now so now we've had a big shift. We're just, you know, we look at things in a 10 to 15 year window instead of a two to three year window. Hundred, I, I, that is exactly my vision. To, we, when we look, it's like guys and tell the team, we're not building for today. We're building for in ten years, and yeah. it's like if you do that, you actually grow way faster. All that is is the short term. You may feel like it's constrained, but then after like that five year point, which I kind of noticed in some five year cycles, it really it's exaggerated on the end upside. So you're way further ahead than you were because you've built Good it point. correctly. Mm -hmm. You're not susceptible to short-term trends that set you so far back. Yep. I mean, the, one of the biggest reasons we're at where we are today is because in 2008, we had fixed debt, high cash flowing assets that had low debt on them. And we, we didn't lose any of them. Mm -hmm. And so after 2008, we weren't set back we were primed then for 2010 wow. to start buying again. And it was like everybody else that I knew was buying at 10 times the rate that we were. Yeah. We were, I, wow. I, I was the guy that felt dumb in 2007. Yeah, I'm like, right. all my buddies are killing it, right? Mm. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I can't make these fourplexes work. And I don't know why, I'm an idiot. I don't know why everybody else is getting rich and I'm not. And it was mm -hmm. like, but I'm not going to do a certain amount of things. I I need cash flow. I need the, that sent us into uh, storage, which nobody wanted at the time. That's why I cash flowed. Um, and that's that's why. That's how we like. I I honestly believe if you compared me to somebody else that was doing um, real estate, commercial, whatnot in the same time frame. Yeah. The reason we're at where we are today was because our long-term thinking saved us in a two-year period of time. And instead of making us grow quickly, we exploded afterwards. And uh, it's just, it, it's counterintuitive because you don't feel like you're going as fast. And so then you feel like I, every year I'm further and further and further behind. But just like you said, that's comparing yourself to others. And yeah, so how did, I'm curious for you, like how did you deal with that envy and ego? Because it's so easy to get sucked. That's what I see so many investors get sucked into is this envy of like, well, they're doing this, I wanna do the same thing. And they, and then they get out of their lane too. They'll jump yeah. into something that's like, you know, when multifamily was expl exploding, I saw a lot of people jump into that without really knowing it. So, so how do you manage the envy ego part? Not well. Um, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I, I think um, I, I think I was lucky enough to have uh, a dad who would pull the reins in. Mm, and say, mm. hold on here, let's look at this. Let's just take a, take a step back, some wisdom, exactly. I, that's exactly right. I had some wisdom on a young, aggressive mind to put things into perspective. Nice. And I think that is vital. So even, even today, right, listening to you, listening to others, listening to you know Ken McElroy, that I need that today still. Mm. And I get very nervous that I am too... I, I, I'm too, not not just short term, but I'm too isolated in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I find that that kills a lot of people. It, uh, crypto, I think, is the perfect example of that. Yeah, Everybody right. was all of a sudden getting massively rich on crypto. It was so easy to do. Mm -hmm. It was just all the way. And it was like, everybody's like, why aren't you doing this? I, you know, I'm making millions off of this and I don't even do anything. Yeah. And all of a sudden everybody started feeling like they were left out 
everybody started piling in. And then all of a sudden, all endless fraud, the crash came and everything else, which yeah. was just like, you know, happened before. And I think you're right. It was just that short term drivers. And when you're young and aggressive, I think it's really hard because you don't have perspective. Yeah. And yeah. surrounding yourselves with perspective, no matter what stage of the game you're at, I think is vital. I think it's just you need those counteracting voices. I don't want necessarily yes men around me. I want the opposite. We'll bring we bring deals and it's like tell me what's wrong with it, not what's right. Mm. And uh, we pass up a lot of deals, a lot of deals because of that. And I know people that grew faster than we did. And it, it I'm I'm an aggressive guy. I, I got big, big dreams. No doubt. And I think that was really hard for me until I really beat it into my head that your short-term wants will kill your long-term dreams. Mm. And so it's like, be patient, stop, look at these other people that are, you know, the end. Um, so I think it's not me, right? It's the fact that other people help me with that. I think that's the best way to explain it. I think if I was, if it was just me, I'd be an idiot and I would have done a lot of stupid things. So <laughs> I love that. Well, there's an AJ quote right there. Your short term wants will kill your long term dreams. I love that. That's uh, that's it. That's a nugget. Yeah, it's true. And I, it, it's, it, I have to say this too, Rich, though. It's only true because I experienced it, right? Yeah, I, I almost I got taken too. out by doing a bad deal that was purely driven by greed and pride. Mm. It was publicly embarrassing for me. Wow. It was really bad. I almost lost a lot of money, everything else like that. And it was probably the one time that I didn't listen, right? And I didn't do it. And it was like, I learned, I'm done. I'm not going like, to, like, I got it. I'm an idiot. Don't do that ever again. And at the time, though, even looking back, it seemed right. It seemed like I should have been. It was, it was my 2008, yeah. right? When mm -hmm. everybody else had it, then I had mine afterwards. And it was like, you, and I think a lot of people th feel they're like, oh, the economy will take you down, everything else like that. And I'm like, really, it's yourself. You're going to take yourself out long time before macroeconomics will. And when those things usually come around, most of the time it's because of your your lack of structure, your lack of control, right? Uh, your greed and pride. Then when the market shifts, that takes you out. And I think I, I learned that firsthand. And so that's probably probably why. <laughs> How about you? Stuff. How do you keep it together when you're seeing all these people? And it's so easy to compare yourself, especially it, when guys in the game, right? You're in the game. I'm in the game. Kathy's in the game. We know everybody that's in the game. And we're all playing a game, and we love it. We're, you're loving it. You're having fun. And then when you see other people succeeding, you're saying, why aren't, why aren't I playing it right? Right. What, yeah, get what the FOMO. Mm -hmm. how, how do you control that? There's some, I mean, one of the things is this comparison about the, the numbers and how people get hooked in the ego of the numbers, like how many doors they have yes. or how many units they have. It's really easy yeah. to get pulled into that. And then you get FOMO from that. And what I want to know is how much free time do you have? How, how much cash flow do you have? You know, yeah. that's that's the great stuff. So yeah. it's like, don't get sucked into the, um, it's like the old, I forget how the saying goes, but about, you know, revenue or gross revenue is something, cash flow is king, right? Yes. yes. That, it's exactly that. So that I well, just try to put my focus back on that. It's like, like we started this whole conversation was, I don't know if, we don't know if we have a few months left in our lives, you know, could, yeah. you know, hop on a flight home here from Denver and it could be the end <laughs> if yeah. that flight goes bad. 100%. So it's, it's really coming back to what really matters uh, over the long haul and now. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Like I, I don't manage it well I either, but it's that. a constant. And I, I, for the envy part, it's like, one thing I do see people with envy is they they almost will put other people down. They'll say, "Oh, look at like wealthy people are jerks," yes. you know, or yep. you know, or they don't care or anything like that. Yeah. And it's like by shifting. One thing I did years ago was I shifted into 
and whenever I felt envy is to turn it into inspiration and be like, wow, they did that. Good for them. That's awesome. How did they do it? How can I learn from that? How can I do a similar thing without trying to do it right away? My, uh, after the whole thing went down when I felt like an idiot and I'd made the bad move, everything else like that, you know, you get in those ruts, then you feel even worse about yourself. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you beat, yourself up. you beat yourself up. And I was in one of those spots and I'm like, man, I just don't know how to get out of this rut. And I asked my wife and my uh, my wife was like, um, well, that's your problem. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you're worried about how you're going to get yourself out of the rut. Maybe you should worry about other people and then stop thinking about yourself and then you won't care no. as much. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a good point. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I guess that's kind of a, a, a wise uh, uh, words there. And it was like, all right, to get myself out, I went and tried to serve other people. We started saying, who can we help? What can we do? Right. And stop oh, thinking about ourselves. I love this idea, this two part that you just said, your, your focus first. So focus and then celebrate other people's wins. Be happy for them. Right. Be grateful for their successes and yours those two components are so big with success i mean you know after i got out of the ho- prior to get out of the hospital it was all like these are my secrets and this is what makes me successful everything else like that and i think after i got out it was like no i'm going to tell everybody what we do how we do it i'm going to support other people we're going to start co-ops we're going to try to make everything better right and it, we exploded in growth and mm-hmm. the happiness was crazy more that it was focused on those other things. But I wanna go back to this focus real quick here. Um, you mentioned focus. This is such a key thing because I think lots of times what, what what you're saying, what you're talking about is we compare ourselves to other people, but lots of times what we're comparing ourselves to has nothing to do with what we're even trying to do, what we're trying to get to. It's not, so all of a sudden it's like you're robbing your actual goals and desires for something that doesn't is irrelevant, right? Oh, how many doors do they have? And it's like, okay, well, how how much are they taking home? How much work do they have to do to achieve that income, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the goal? Like, what what is your goal to focus? How do you stay focused on your prize, the prize that you've set? What do you do to keep that focus and to put <laughs> blinders on and kind of ignore the noise? Um, I go big picture, honestly. Um, Focus was always a challenge for me growing up, you know, severely. I diagnosed hyperkinetic, which is today's ADHD. So focus has always been a challenge for me. And remember um, a little while ago, I was talking about how I wrote that obituary in a personal development workshop. It was a game changer for me. And then recently, not too long ago, I wrote my eulogy, what I would want people to say about me at my funeral or my life celebration. And it's a game changer. It really is. When you really think about when the end of your life, who is it that, that you want to be, that you, what do you have want to have done? What do you want people to say about you and the type of person you want to be? Then the accomplishments and the achievements and the um, material wealth takes a second seat. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, so that's, that's been my focus. It's like, who is it that I really want to be? What's the type of li- life I want to live? How do I want to show up for other people? And that guides that guides my goals in investing. It guides my goals with our business. Uh, our business is all about helping other people. Like I said, we help other people create real wealth. And the fulfillment that comes from that and helping other people is 10 times or a 1,000 times greater than getting that next investment property or getting that deal where I've made, you know, a 23% IRR or something like that, you know, that that's all good. And so it's shifting my focus from accumulation and growth in that sense into what really, really matters. And what am I investing for? Why am I doing this investment? What's and how does that affect? So I read my eulogy every week. I take, I read over it. So it reminds me of who I want to be and how I want to live. So that's, that's been helpful for me. I love that. I love that so much. Your focus um, allows you to have perspective. And I also think it's really important that it's, you, like you just said, you do it every week. It's not like a one and done. And I, I mean, I fall into this just endlessly where I'm like, 
and it, it's actually a big concern of mine because I'm like, I don't understand. I went through all this horrible stuff and I learned all these great lessons. Mm. And then I'm out here almost six years later and I'm falling back into some of the old things that I said I would never do again and everything. And I'm like, what the crap's wrong with me? How can you, how can you be hooked to tubes and, uh, you know, and lose your legs and body and everything else like that. And then go back to doing the same stupid stuff you did prior. It's like, you know, what more of a wake up call do you need? And I think that that's really the point though. It's like, it doesn't matter. You got to remind yourself. You've got to, in order to keep focus, you have to remind yourself. And in order to keep perspective, you got to pull yourself out. Like, yes. like, I, like literally like pull yourself out of the day to day, out of the stuff that for some reason you're hyper-focused on that is crappy or is bad to see that it's not. And I, I just don't think that it's something that, like you said, you just don't get that and you just don't have that. It's practice, yeah, especially as Americans. There's such a um, there's such a focus on accomplishment and you know grinding and making it happen and success and and materials possessions, which is you know it's all good stuff. I mean, I love I love yeah you know my house and my home and my cars and my gear yeah. and all that stuff. And it's it's so important to step back and pull ourselves out of that because you know like you look at Europeans, you know I daughter just came back from a, a trip to Europe and she was just talking about how much time they take away to be with their family, how much vacation time they take to really live. And it's just, as Americans, we get caught into this this grind. So yeah, we have to pull ourselves out of it a little bit and, and really check in. A hundred percent. It's, um, you know, it, it's like you, you can see how that practice of yours is what you're doing is you're giving yourself back your time and happiness. And I think, you know, you can see it in you, for example, I see it in you. And I think that when you look at it that way, then it's like, it's not that I'm taking time away from myself to meditate, that I'm taking my time away from myself to do these things. You're giving yourself back your time and happiness by doing those things things. And I think that that actually makes your success, what you're trying to achieve anyways, uh, actually materialize and greater. I find that the more that I'm in it and the more I'm frustrated, the more I think everything, I, I actually don't tend to progress. And then I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I getting so frustrated with this? I, I, I break away. I take time. I go you know, to the mountains, my happy place. And it's like, then I come back and I'm like, that stuff's not that important to me anymore. Let's solve it. Let's move on. And then it's like, oh, progress again. And it's like, I, I had to take time and I had to take focus to give myself back those things. Mm, and I think you're, yeah. you're just an amazing example of that. Um, and, you know, everybody that knows you, it's just like, I've never, everybody's just like, you know, Rich and Kelly are just so amazing. And I think it's, it's because of what you do, how you practice it. Um, and I think that makes an awesome impact. I'm so seriously, I don't want to take all your night, but thank you so much for coming on here. I know you took a break from the bigger pockets crew and everything here to come out and come out uh, uh, on here and talk to me and take your time. So I appreciate you for coming on. Uh, where can everybody go find out more about your rich? Where can they go see what you guys are doing? Because it's awesome. Um, our website is the easiest way. It's just real wealth. Dot com so that's easiest and I think I'm, I think I'm on the only rich fetke in the world so uh, on Instagram and all that social media just rich fetke which is f e t t k e awesome and we'll put that all in the show notes everybody um, but thanks again rich good talking to you and you too you know, I'll, I'll have you back on on because I just it's it's you are what everybody needs to hear you know I really oh, mean thanks, it you're man. awesome man appreciate it.